Hey everyone, I'm Justin Fiedler and this is Dirt Tracker Conversations. The driver-crew chief relationship is vital to any successful race team and Kyle Strickler knew he needed someone with experience when he made his foray into late model racing in 2020. And he'll need that experience even more when Strickler goes full-time with the Lucas Oil Late Model Dirt Series in 2021. The experience he's relying on is that of Vinny Giuliani. Giuliani is a veteran in the late model ranks with an engineering background and plenty of success on his resume. He joins the show to talk about his pairing with Strickler, going full-time with the series, the differences in late model chassis, and a whole lot more. Before we get to Vinny, this episode is brought to you by Blood Lubricants. Blood carries a high-performance line of synthetic racing oils, and they've got you covered for all sorts of dirt racing applications. Engine oils, gear oils, suspension fluid, cleaning products, you name it, they've got it. And these aren't bargain basement oils and lubricants. This is high-quality stuff. Danny Dietrich recently picked up his 13th win of 2020 at Lincoln Speedway running the Blood Racing Pro Series engine oil in his 410 engine. It's hard to argue with race winning performance. They've got a great racer support program that offers discounts on products plus free swag, and they support hundreds of racers across many divisions throughout the country. To check out the support program, find out more information, or to buy, visit bloodlubricants.com. That's B-L-U-D lubricants.com. If you'd like to receive 25% off most products, use code DIRT at checkout. That's D-I-R-T, all caps, at checkout. Now, let's get to my conversation with Vinny Giuliani. I guess we'll start right off the top with the literally breaking news right before we started re- uh, recording, but uh, you and Kyle are going full-time Lucas racing next year. Yeah, that's right. Uh, thanks for having me on. I'm excited. Um, yeah, good timing. <laughs> you contacted Perfect me last week and uh, you know, we were so busy getting ready for the Dirt Track World Championship that you know, we, we put it off till today. <laughs> and, uh, uh, good timing. Yeah, so they, we literally uh, just announced that news. We've been working on it for a couple weeks. Um, with uh, Mr. Sims, Craig Sims, and, and the PCC team. Uh, we're really excited. It, it was a struggle a little bit this year. I don't think that's any secret with just having one car, usually one motor at a time, uh, an older rig. Um, you know, we had a lot of people behind us that really stepped up to help us run as many races as we did. I'm, I'm not complaining by any means, but um, this is huge for us to be able to commit to a full tour, um, especially the Lucas Tour. It's so much positive energy around the tour right now um the races are amazing that i mean uh, it's unfortunate because of covid but i mean before covid and even the places that we can go with fans it's packed i mean it's standing room only everywhere we go lots of tv time lots of internet coverage um you know the world of outlaw series is great too and i've ran that series i love those guys they're doing a lot of really cool things but we really feel uh blessed and proud to be able to run um, and, and fortunate to be able to run the Lucas tour. I mean, that's really a dream come true. So that's awesome. Can't thank the guys at PCC enough. Uh, you know, Craig Sims to, to go out on a limb for, for Kyle and myself and provide us whatever we need to, to, uh, you know, compete with the best that there is. And, um, you know, so we're really excited. I want to kind of jump straight to the, you know, kind of the beginning for you and getting started in racing. I, I know you're an engineer, you know, you've been a shock builder and all of these things, but what does your resume look like? So in Omaha, Nebraska, when I was six years old, um, first of all, my dad's an engineer as well and worked on race cars when he was my age. So, or, or younger, you know, when he was 18, 19, 20, started working on race cars. So he always had the itch, had the mind for it. Um, so we we're in Omaha, Nebraska one day on a Saturday or a Sunday and he heard an engine in the cul-de-sac 
you know, and said, there, that's a race engine. So let's go check it out. I was six years old. So we walk over there and uh, meet a guy named John Anderson out of Omaha, Nebraska. And we went racing that night and watched him and uh, he ended up winning that night. Um, but he gave me a hat and a shirt and treated me like a, you know, I was a six year old kid. He treated me like a, you know, a king. So I, I felt I got to sit in the car, the whole deal. And I was hooked. I mean, that night I was hooked right away and it just fit my dad and my personality. My mom enjoyed it, you know, enough. She didn't, she didn't love it, but she, she loved that. I had something that I really was passionate about. Um, and so that's when I was six years old. I mean, I'll, I helped him, you know, uh, doing whatever you can do at that, <laughs> you know, 10, 12, my job was to pick up tools and, and that sort of thing all the way until I was 16. I believe it was Oh five. Um, so I would have been maybe 19. I went full time with, uh, Shane Clanton. Uh, I knew Gary Winger really well. Um, and, uh, he introduced me to Shane Clanton. Clanton was, uh, was, and still is one of the best to ever do it. Uh, so I was at 2000, 2005, I was running full-time world of outlaws with those guys. And that was awesome. I mean, I got to see all these new tracks and do all these new things. And, um, that was really neat. So, um, that took me into, I was in college. So, you know, I was studying mechanical engineering in, in Tampa, USF, and I wanted to work in NASCAR. I felt like, you know, that's what every aspiring engineer probably wants to do, but I loved dirt racing as well. Um, so I moved up here to Charlotte to finish off my degree at UNC Charlotte and I worked for Red Bull racing cup team, uh, for three years. So I got to experience that highest level in, uh, in America, at least, you know, and NASCAR. And, um, I had a, a stint with, uh, Joe Gibbs on the nationwide team as well, but, um, that was really cool as an engineer to see. I mean, we got to use all the best equipment. I mean, seven posts. Um, you know, obviously pull down rigs. I got to go to the wind tunnel multiple times. We got to go to, um, you know, uh, the driveline dyno multiple times, the chassis dyno multiple times. We had our own seven posts. So I really got to dive into all that stuff at a pretty young age. Um, but I really missed the dirt racing. So I started going again with Jeff Smith, Freddie Smith's son, who's right here, uh, down the road, down 85. And uh, we had a lot of success. We won a World of Outlaws race together, a, a Lucas race, um, a Carolina Class Championship. And um, after that, uh, went to uh, back to work for John Anderson in the Midwest. Just We wanted an opportunity to do things together like we started. And we won, uh, I think, two MLRA championships. He might have won one more after I left. And we won a ton of races. We had a couple of really good years. And uh, then the opportunity to work for JRI Shocks came around. Um, Brandon Ernest, who's probably one of the best to ever do it, uh, to build shocks, especially on the asphalt side. He, he wanted me to team up with him, and I would do the dirt stuff. He'd do the asphalt stuff, and we had a lot of success there. That's when I got uh, – which I've, I knew Kevin Rumley my whole life, but we got hooked up with him and, and Jonathan Davenport in the six car, and, and that was, you know, his – his iconic season there was with, was with our, you know, our shocks. So I was really proud to be a part of that. Uh, of course, couldn't have done it without Kevin and Brandon and Jonathan, obviously, you know, but to be a part of that was amazing. And that's when Kyle started, Kyle Strickler started running uh, my shocks. We had already known each other and, and uh, I kind of helped him uh, when he was in a Bruce built at that time, uh, or I mean, excuse me, a beak built, uh, which was Rudiman's car. Uh, but he ran my shocks and uh, had a lot of success there too. So um, after JRI, um, 
went to Jason Hughes's place and, and did some modified stuff for a while. He was great for my career and my personal life and uh, love that guy to death. Um, and then I was itching to go late model racing again. And, uh, you know, that's, I, I got on board with Chase. Um, uh, well, at first I got on board with Brandon Overton out in Tennessee and, and we had a hell of a few years and won, won a ton of races. And, uh, that deal kind of dissolved because of some sponsorship things and stuff. And, and obviously Overton's gone on to be one of the best, you know, current guys to do it. Um, went with Chase for the last couple of years and had a blast. He's like a brother to me. Uh, the whole young hands family is like family to me. And, uh, you know, we were just ready to change it up a little bit. Kansas is so far out there for me from Florida, North Carolina. And so, uh, Kyle and I and, and Bill Stein decided to, to hook up. And, um, it's a really unique opportunity because Bill Stein is right here by Kyle's shop, like literally, uh, you know, hundred feet. I mean, a hundred yards, it's right there. So you can walk back and forth. We joke about getting our exercise in at lunch to walk back and forth. But, um, so it's been a, it's been a hell of a career. There's a lot of different stops there. Um, I've got a list in my phone. I won't bore you with them, but I think it's 10 different drivers that I've won. It might be 11. I'd have to double check that I've won a 10,000 win race with as a crew chief. So that's probably my favorite stat you know what i mean that 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 kind of makes me feel feel good and um but there's definitely been a lot of a lot, i've seen a lot of things that's for sure what is it about like late models and modifieds that interests you so much it seems like that there's kind of more engineering and, and more technical stuff that goes on on that side of racing but what specifically about those types of cars is it that interests you well there's two sides of it the racing is just phenomenal i mean when you watch those guys qualify i mean it's just awesome to me i love that i mean they are just you're getting every ounce out of everything. You're getting every ounce out of your motor, out of your tires, out of your shock package. I mean, that's, that's where it really shows. I mean, you got to win the race, but man, I enjoy that. I, you know, and that's, what's so cool about being fast. You know, you, that really makes you feel good when you go qualify well. Um, and, and as far as the racing goes, I mean, it's just so competitive and three wide and slide jobs. I mean, to me, it's just a lot more exciting in its own way than, than NASCAR, you know, to me. Um, I really enjoy the racing part of it. And then the camaraderie. I mean, I've been doing this full time since 05. So all these guys in the pits know me. I know them. When we run good and guys like Ronnie Stuckey or Mark Richards or Kevin Rumley come up to me and say congratulations or shake my hand, I mean, that means more than – I mean, I could go on and on with that list. I mean, when those guys come up to me, that means more than any amount of winnings or whatever. You know what I mean? That's really cool because they've watched me grow up and doing this and – they have respect for me because I have a ton of respect for those guys. And to know that I, that they just think a little bit of me, you know, is, is pretty, uh, is, is pretty awesome. Um, you know, that, that'd probably be the biggest thing that kind of, that draws me to it. I mean, it, and, uh, the other point I wanted to make was, you know, the team is so small, you know, usually it's three or four guys. So when you win and you get back in that toter and all the noise is calmed down and it's your four guys, it feels really, really good. You know, on a cup team, I mean, I was, you know, and at one of 22 engineers, I think it was, you know, I had my little cubicle and I, you just, you don't quite feel the same pride. Um, I mean, I, you know, I guess you could argue if you were a cup crew chief, obviously that'd be awesome. You'd, you'd feel that, that way that you had a majority of the input, but when you win in, in, in this style of racing, I mean, we're out there doing it all, you know what I mean? And we could tell you every inch of that race car inside and out 
and the shop and the rig. And I mean, it's just, you got to be fully involved and that makes it really satisfying when you're uh, successful having such a small team. Since you've been on both sides of it, asphalt and dirt, you know, and, and somebody like myself, I I'm, have a business degree. I, I don't know anything about race cars. I mean, I've been pitting race cars for a long time, but the, you know, your side of it is completely foreign to me. But when you're going from the asphalt side to the dirt side, is there like, um, it, it, are the concepts the same? Are the ideas the same? Like, how does that kind of work? You know, are you able to take things from the NASCAR side and bring that with you when you go dirt racing? Yeah, I'm really lucky to have a great <laughs> support system of guys that I trust and that I've spoke with my whole life. And then um, some more buddies, you know, around here that I that I can bounce things off of. The The technology has gotten, you know, really amazing, which is obviously what I enjoy the most. Um, yeah, there's some things that cross over, you know, aerodynamics, uh, vehicle dynamics, uh, shock technology, for sure. Um, but you know, one thing I've kind of prided myself on is, is be, I was, I was a racer first. My dad, you know, taught me racing first before I was an engineer. And I think that that helped a lot because you, you, you know, you, you gotta be able to use those technologies and you gotta be able to understand how the systems work. But unless you are a racer at the core, you're not going to be very successful because it's in dirt racing, especially because there's so many, you know, variables and things that you kind of got to go off of your gut and watching the car and, um, you know, driver feedback and being able to kind of quickly process what's going on and make decisions. And um, so, yeah, I, I think that's, you know, probably the biggest, the, the biggest thing there is you, you can definitely use some technology and, and we do. I mean, we, we, we use all the resources available, believe me, uh, you have to, to be competitive, but at the end of the day, you got to, you know, it's, it's about the people and, and using your, you know, gut instincts to make the right decisions in a quick amount of time. You know, they run these shows so quick, you got to know what to do and when to do it. And your driver's got to be on his A game. Crew chief's got to be on his A game. Tire guy has to have his, I mean, everything has to be A plus or you will get your butt whipped by these guys. I mean, it's unbelievable. So in kind of looking at late model racing, it seems like there's kind of this like black magic voodoo, you know, you've got, you know, your hubs covered up and the back of the car covered up and all of this stuff, but like how yeah. much kind of like secretive type things are going on. And like, I mean, is that just because there's so much innovation going on that like, if you figure something out, you don't want somebody else to see it? Yeah, it, there's a lot of innovation going on. I mean, sometimes, you know, you keep your stuff covered up even when it's not trick for the times that it is trick and vice versa. So, I mean, it's, um, like I said, I, I think you gotta have, uh, it, it's still, you gotta have a really good feel for it and, and know when to make the adjustments. And that's why the guys that are experienced are so successful, but there is definitely, you know, some black magic things out there. I mean, if people try to deny it or people try to play it up, depending on what side you're on, I mean, the shocks and springs are first and foremost, always, you know, um, but there's, you know, the engines are huge. I mean, that's, I've learned so much about engines the last few years, um, between Jack Cornette and, and, uh, even Andy Durham and definitely Glenn Clements teaching me things. I mean, that's huge. Um, and, and, you know, the body stuff is, is huge. Um, uh, geometries is huge. I mean, just every little, the brakes, every system on that, the power steering, every system on that car has a lot of little things that you can do different that a lot of the majority of late model drivers or teams don't know about. And when you add up all those little things on all those little systems, 
that's how you are competitive enough to compete with those top guys, you know? So yeah, there is a lot of voodoo things, but it's not one right rear shock that is making Jimmy Owens and Brandon Overton and Brandon Shepard so fast. It's a, it's 50 little things that they may not tell the, all their buddies, you know what I mean? Uh, it could be brake related. It could a little bit be shock related body, you know, steering. I mean, literally all these things, rear end. I mean, all these things have the geometries, all these things have these little tips and tricks you can do that, you you know, that all of those things add up to what makes it fast. Um, I, that I, there's a very rarely other than maybe Kevin and Jonathan's that, that, that one iconic year, I guess it was 2015, I think, you know, they had one item that probably helped a bunch, but there was a lot of other things people didn't even know existed that we were doing at that he was doing, they were doing at that time, you know, that, that they kind of <laughs> could do and, and slide under the radar because everybody thought this one left rear device, you know, um, was, was the answer. So, um, I think it's more a, a majority of little black magic things than it is one huge black magic. I, I I've actually talked to Kevin on my show, just, you know, I, I kind of did a shorter conversation with him just kind of about the evolution of, of late model setups and things. And, mm -hmm. and like one of the things that I've found really interesting was, was talking to him about some of the aero stuff with the way that, you know, the right side of the body works and getting the car sideways and things like that. But yeah, when things like that are going on, you know, are you looking around the pit area to, you know, to maybe try to get a glance at what other people are doing is, you know, are there rumors going on about what people are doing or do you just kind of stick to your own car and be like, you know, we're just, you know, I'm going to use what engineering concepts I know, and we're just going to make our car the best we can be based on our knowledge. Well, definitely good question. And it's a, a two part answer. So you are definitely paying attention to what other people are doing at all times. I mean, you, you have to, it's just like in formula one, they're paying attention to, everything that the other teams are doing. We're of course paying attention to what they're doing, but I can tell you from experience, if you try to chase what somebody else is doing, or even if we talk to our teammate, you know, McCready or, or, you know, or if I talk to people that I trust, <laughs> anytime we go down that path of not doing our own thing, we struggle terrible. So we, Kyle and I have committed to doing our own deal, whatever he feels directionally, the car needs to go. He doesn't really care what the numbers are. He doesn't really care what the rates are, the shocks necessarily. He can tell me directionally what direction we need to go on each corner. And then I just trust our instincts and do our own thing. That's how we've been competitive. We don't, uh, you know, so it's kind of two parts. So yeah, you're of course paying attention to people's bodies and how much hike they've got and where their left front is, where their right front is, where their right rear is. You try to even use apps on your phone to measure things on their cars and figure it out. Of course you do. You have to. But if you try to set your car up based on somebody else, you will be slow. Uh, and it, at least for us, so we do our own thing 100%. I mean, even the front end geometry, rear end geometry, shocks and springs, body. I mean, we just do whatever we feel like is right, and we live and die by it. But you know, that's how we've had way more success doing it that way than we have, you know, trying to just ask somebody else and lean on their input because it just doesn't work. You know, you can. You can get to a certain level that way, but at this level, at the national tour, if you can't commit to doing it your own way, you're not going to compete with those top 10 guys. As somebody who has worked on both the modified side and the late model side, you are working with a driver who started on the modified side and is now on the late model side. Uh, I talked to Mike McKinney not long ago kind of about this and him, you know, his transition from modifieds into late models. Mm -hmm. what, what is it about the modified to late model thing that seems to work? And like, why is that like the natural path where, you know, you see modified guys have success then at the late model level? 
Yeah, I, I don't know if that's if that's as big a deal as what you might think. Honestly, like, I mean, are the I cars think. similar? I mean, I you know, McKinney talked about uh, like obviously the tires are very different, but like you know, I, I, that's what I'm saying. Same? I don't know. I, I think we might be giving that a little more credit than is really there, in my opinion. I think you just taken extremely talented guys, Kyle Strickler, Ricky Thornton, uh, Stormy Scott, Mike McKinney, Nick Hoffman. I don't think really that anything translates between the cars personally. I, I, I just think you're taking extremely talented race car drivers that have experience in big races. They're going to these modified races that paid 50,000 that paid 20,000. So they're not scared of the moment in that standpoint. I think that just the experience more than it has anything to do with coming from a modified to a late model. Now, I mean, I obviously you're not going to see a whole lot of sprint car guys other than of course, Larson who had some success right away. Um, but I think we all agree he's otherworldly. But um, I don't, you know, obviously they're more similar than that. But I, I would respectfully disagree that really there's a lot of <laughs> positives to going to late models from modifieds. I don't see it that way at all, actually. I, I just see it as extremely talented guys that are just now getting the opportunity to run a late model and that have experience in big races at big racetracks and big moments. That's what I see. With working with Kyle this year, you know, kind of as he's making this transition, like, are there things he has to relearn as he's, you know, going from a modified to the late model? Like, I mean, is it like, is it a big learning curve to jump to make absolutely. that Absolutely. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I, I think he would tell you there's very, that's what I'm saying. Like, there are no similarities. Like, it's so different. Um, you know, it, it doesn't feel the same. It doesn't drive the same. The engines are different. Tires are different. Shocks are different. Spring packages. I mean, so... Yeah, he's definitely, but he, that's what I'm saying. When you've got a guy that that's, is that talented, he can process that way quicker. And it's taken him, it's taken us and, you know, taken him six months to get to where I thought we would be in two years. And I told him it would take two years. And in April, we were not even making spring nationals races, you know, 4,000 wins or 5,000 wins. We'd struggle to make the show, you know? So it's, so it, it's a steep, steep learning curve. Um, you know, luckily he had some late model experience, you know, before with, with Wells and stuff like that. So he had some, but even still it's, man, it's all, it's tough. You know, I, I don't think that much translates. Um, yeah, you got to relearn everything. And I think he'd agree with my assessment on that. I, you got to relearn everything for sure. As he's kind of grown this year, you know, like, you know, you talk about early in the season struggling and, and obviously, you know, where you guys have ended up, you know, winning a Lucas race and, and, you know, competing at Eldora and things like that. What's different? Like, you know, are you guys setting the car up better for what he's looking for? Is he just learning how to drive better? Like, I mean, what, what do you think that is? It's definitely both of those for sure. It's committing. Uh, like I said earlier, him and I just sat down and said, we're going to do it our way. hundred percent. We're going to lean on our friends and our, our, our partners. We're going to lean on those people for sure. But if we think it's right, we're doing it. And that's the way I've kind of always had success. If it's right in my heart and it's right in my mind, we just do it. I don't care if other people are doing it or not, you know, um, whatever it is, shock springs, geometries, settings, anything body. I mean, if it seems right to us and we agree that it's, it's, you can scientifically prove or, or you have a feeling that it's better. That's what we do. It doesn't matter if anybody else is doing it or not. So that's helped. Of course, uh, you know, just understanding each other's terminology and, and getting more comfortable with what I, I, you know, I know what he needs as a driver and he's getting better with giving me the feedback. So those things are definitely important too. Um, 
you know, and then we made some upgrades to our program. We upgraded our brakes. We upgraded our engine program. Uh, that those two things were huge, and he will tell you that too. I mean, it's so that that helped a lot. We got some good help in there at the beginning. It was really just me and him because of COVID. So we got some some good help in there. Some guys that are smart and could could help us do you know with tires and preparation, and so that's huge too. I mean, it, you're only as good as the people that are around you. You know what I mean? So that was big. Um, so I'd say those, those, those things, you know, helped us transition the fastest, um, you know, from the early season struggles, but everywhere I've went, it takes three months to even really be competitive. Cause you got to rework the whole program. I mean, during COVID we turned our shop upside down, completely reorganized everything. It just takes time to build a program of, like that. And it, I've got a lot of experience doing it. So he trusted me and luckily, you know, I, I, appreciate him trusting me because I made a lot of changes and I recommended a lot of things that we wanted to do different. And, uh, you know, he let me do those things and that I, I, you know, I, I appreciate him for that because we, uh, I, you know, it, it turned our, it definitely helped turn some things around for sure. As you guys get ready to go Lucas racing next year, if, if I read the release correctly, you know, you guys have been using Longhorns all year. It looks like you're switching to Rockets. Is that a big deal? I feel like, you know, this kind of running commentary of late model racing is who's in what chassis and all of these things. Like, is there really that much of a difference between the big chassis manufacturers? Those two I'm the most familiar with, so I'll just speak about those two. I, I can't really, you know what I mean? I, I've got a lot of experience with those two. They're the best two out there, in my opinion. Um, they both have their positives and negatives in my opinion. You know, I've worked on rockets the last two years with Chase's stuff and I, I love Mark Richards to death. And, and I, 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 I think he thinks a lot of me and, um, I love the Longhorn guys. I've been with them since day one with Kevin and Justin, and I, I think the world of them and I hope that they think a little bit of me. So <clears throat> it's, it's tough from that standpoint because of the relationships I have with both. Um, but when it comes down to it and, and yes, the frames are very different. The setups are very different, but luckily I've got really good notes for both. And I feel in my heart that we can make either one competitive. Um, uh, Mr. Sims, Craig, he's, he's open to, uh, you know, doing whatever we need to do to win, but he's got two brand new rockets right now. I mean, we'd be silly to, to, to get rid of those right out of the bat just cause I want to, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Um, and I don't necessarily want to, you know, I, I want to be whatever it takes to make us the fastest and give us the best opportunity to win. And, um, there's some other drivers out there that'll tell you that, you know, the rocket fits certain places, the longhorn fits certain places. The difficulty of that is having, you got to have, you know, parts for both. And, you know, it, it gets to be a little much to say, we're going to run the rocket here and the longhorn here. I don't necessarily want to do that. Um, but we're going to give the rocket a fair shake. That's what, that's what Mr. Sims has. That's what, um, he's given us the opportunity to use and that's not going to hold us back any, I can promise you that because they're excellent cars and, uh, I've got plenty of notes and experience with them. So, um, you know, I'm looking forward to putting our spin on them. Uh, you know, at chases, we did a lot of our own things and I plan on doing a lot of our own things here. Um, and, and then uh, obviously Mark and Steve are, I mean, they're the, the gold standard, you know, Steve Baker and Mark Richards. So those guys, you know, it, it is really nice to be able to go to their shop and get what you need or have them ship you what you need. I mean, it's, that helps a lot too, running a tour. And, um, so yeah, I, we'll see. Uh, we are going to keep our own car that, that Charlie Donaldson, uh, owns, uh, you know, with Kyle, 
um, and get this, get these motors, you know, tuned back up and, and have that, you know, there's so many races on a schedule, you know, I, a lot of guys do it this way where you commit to the Lucas tour with, with a team. And then maybe you can do some other big races around, you know, around Charlotte or, or world of outlaws or whatever, uh, with your own stuff. So I, you know, we're not fully hundred percent. We got to be in rockets all year long. I'm not fully hundred percent. We got to be in longhorns all year long. It's up to Mr. Sims. It's up to how we feel, how competitive we are. Um, but I'm not against either one. That's for sure. Um, you know, uh, I just have really good relationships with both guys and I want to keep it that way, you know, and I know Kyle feels the same. As you guys, like, you know, I, I, you know, talking to you last week, you guys were getting ready for Dirt Track World Championship at Portsmouth. And, and I'm curious about like the work up, you know, the work leading up to an event like that. You know, what, what, what are you guys doing? You know, are you going looking at nodes, trying to figure out what the setup's going to be? And then, you know, on race day, as things happen, you know, how much changing are you doing to the car? How much adjustments are going on? Just kind of give me an idea about that workflow. Sure. I think I do things a little differently than some other guys. I see some other guys when they get there, you know, still smashing their springs and stuff. I don't know if they, I, a lot of the ones that I see do that, they're going to talk to somebody when they get there or whatever. When we unload, it's ready to crank up and hot lap. I, we've thought about it all week. We've thought about it all day, every day. We're going to unload and hot lap that way. We're not going to get there other than if the track is super, super muddy or super, super slick. I mean, but 90%, 90% of the time, whatever we unload with is race ready to crank up and go hot lap. And um, so that preparation, of course, during the week, you know, shocks and springs, that's a nice thing about Bill Stein being right there. You know, I can dyno my stuff. I can make changes. I can do whatever I want to do. Um, you know, of course, the body stuff, the engine stuff, make sure all that stuff is fresh. Um, you know, uh, everything underneath the car, getting the tires prepared, you know, so a big race to a, to a, to a smaller, the preparation is almost the same. Honestly, it's not like you put in any more or less time because you'll get your butt whipped if you don't. <laughs> so it doesn't matter if it's 10,000 a win or a hundred thousand a win. Um, but as far as, uh, you know, there's not too much difference there, but as far as preparation, when we show up there, I would like to think that that's the best setup we can provide off the truck. And I'm telling you right now, if you're not fast, that first lap off the truck, you're not going to be fast all weekend. You're not going to overcome that. So you better be fast when you unload because you can't come from behind with these guys. You got a hot lap good, so you're confident to qualify good, to be starting up front in your heat, win your heat, start up front in the feature. You Very rarely are you going to unload slow and, uh, and throw a Hail Mary and hit. You know what I mean? Very rare. Is, is, is there times that that's happened where you've unloaded slow and then you try to throw the kitchen sink at it? Like, is there time yeah. through the race night to, to do that? <laughs> There is, but it's from experience. You know, there's been times where we uh, we unload, and uh, Wheatland was a perfect example, which I've been there enough to know. But we'd been running so good the night before. We were running. We set quick time, won our heat, uh, was battling for the lead with Turbo at uh, Tri-City and, and gotten a little three-wide contusion. So you're so fast the night before, you're like, well, hell, I mean, we might as well stick with it. But in your heart, you're like, oh, God, this is Wheatland. This place is hard to get a hold of. So, yeah, we hot lap terrible, you know. And I just told him, I was like, I, I got it. You know, I you just focus on driving. Like, I'll – so, yeah, we changed everything. I mean, literally, I think all four corners. <laughs> we went out there and, and uh, you know, we ended up running second in the show me. So, it happens, but you got to be mentally prepared for it because a lot of times there's not very much time between hot laps and qualifying. Uh, so, luckily, this particular night, 
I had enough time and we had a game plan of if we go out here and struggle, we're going to go to plan B. And that's exactly what we did. And we, and we, you know, um, executed that and it paid off, but it's hard to do. Yeah. You, you, you can do it, but it's hard to do. You better be good when you unload against these guys or, or it's going to be tough. I've had some conversations in the past with Willie Kane about shocks and, and I'm kind of curious how it kind of works in the late model world. You know, are you like, do you have a set of shocks for every single racetrack or, you know, do you have shocks for like types of racetracks, sizes of racetracks, you know, are you running one shock, you know, depending on what the driver wants, like how, you know, what does that breakdown of your shocks look like? Yeah. I mean, we are always fine tuning on my favorite set of shocks and this is the way I've done it a lot lately, uh, lately being like the last five years. I mean, you're constantly, adjusting a shim here gas pressure there click here for the, your favorite set that's why a lot of times you see people unload a backup car they're taking all five shocks and springs off six and putting them on the other car because you just it's so hard to get i mean you can't have multiples of everything every spring combination so but i definitely have multiple uh for each corner i've got multiple right fronts set up ready to go multiple right rears so yeah we might go to eldora i'm going to have a right front for there that's going to be different than wheatland no doubt um, but you know, so yeah, we, they're track specific, but I would say it's more, uh, two or three options per corner that are my bread and butter. And you, you don't vary off of those very far. If that are, answers your question. Are shocks like race cars, like where it's like, you have like one race car that just seems to be really fast. Do you have like one set of shocks or a couple <laughs> of sets of shocks that are like just magic? Yeah. I mean, I've definitely have my favorites. There's no doubt. I'd be lying if I said I didn't. I mean, you, there's ones that you tinker on and they look the same on the dyno, but you've done things a little different in them and you know, you have, um, and, and you're like this, this fits for this program, um, or for this track, you know, I, I know I need this right rear for this track. So I wouldn't necessarily say one's magic over the other. Cause you can repeat them pretty, pretty damn good. I mean, you can have two of the same on the shocks. It's more of the package. Like, I've got this stack, you know, there's a lot of times this year where we had a stack on all four corners of uh, the car. So, I mean, I, I mean, just the sheer number of springs to have to do that, you know, it just, you got to really commit to what you're doing um, and just have different options, um, you know, for each corner. But yeah, I, I definitely have my, my go-tos, your, you call them your money maker. You know, you might even put that on the sticker, you know, right front money maker. And he feels the same way. He's got right front packages that he loves and there's other ones that he doesn't love but sometimes the track requires you to run the one that he doesn't love you know um uh you know and that's just that that's wheatland is a perfect example of that i mean that was not our standard right front package but we knew for there we had to do something different and that's what we did you know and uh, it was was good but yeah there's i mean 80 percent of the time we're on our bread and butter and we're just fine-tuning that package Working with Kevin Rumley and, and, you know, your relationship you guys have with, you know, with the shocks and things like that, like, is there like a rivalry? Like, is there a point where like maybe he finds something or you find something and you like don't want to tell the other person like what exactly you he, found? He is honestly the one person in the pit area that we don't feel that between the two of us. I, he has been my biggest supporter and friend through thick and thin. And, uh, you know, we had a, a chance to talk today briefly. Um, you know, I mean, he's disappointed that we're not going to be in Longhorns, but um, still going to be involved with Bill Stein. And so, you know, him and I have worked together through thick and thin when I was with Rockets in the past. So, um, you know, he understands this is an opportunity for us. But as far as as far as a rivalry, I don't I don't really see it that way. Um, I've got my butt whooped by him way more than than I've than I've beat him. But um, 
no, I, I honestly feel like he never withholds information. Now, of course, there's times when you're both running really good. You respect each other's space. You know, when we're running really, really good, he doesn't come over and ask me, you know, hey, I, I need to know everything you're doing. But if he's struggling or if I'm struggling, it goes without saying. The other one is already reaching out to the other and saying, hey, think about this. Don't forget that. And like I said, I mean, it's way skewed over the course of my career, uh, you know, him helping me. But there's been a few times, uh, you know, 2016, we went to uh, I-80 and uh, Randy Weaver was injured at the time. So I was available and, and I mean, I helped him, you know what I mean? So it's, it's, it's gone both ways, obviously, like I said, way more <laughs> him helping me than me helping him. But I don't see it as a rivalry. I think, I think it's a rare friendship and partnership where we've, and I'll say this, we've always had more success together than we have apart. Now, I mean, he may, we're different drivers, but our two drivers have always had more success when him and I worked together than when we didn't. So I think we both know that and we respect that. And um, that's why we've made such a good team. I mean, him and I have been working together since 08, you know, so it's been a long time. I have to ask you about Eldora, you know, it, as you kind of look back on it now that you've got a little distance from it, like, is it a good thing that you, you know that you were a, had a fast car and that you probably should have won that race? Or does it still like really just chap your ass that you didn't win that race? Man, it really still chaps my ass. I mean, it does. I mean, we should be that good. And honestly, when it's happening, I was as calm as I've ever been. Like, that's how good we were. Like, I really, there's a lot of times I'm nervous as hell at the track. A lot of times. And usually it's before hot laps and qualifying, to be honest. Once you get past that, you know you're good, you know, uh, or bad. <laughs> but but um, in that race, I just, I let myself think about it with 20 to go. I let it creep into my mind. Holy shit, we could win this thing. And then I blocked it out. I honest to God blocked it out and I was giving him signals and he was in the zone. I'm watching the car like a hawk. And when it comes down there, coming to two to go, I'm like, man, that don't seem right. I thought our motor was letting up because he didn't dig down the straightaway. And then he comes around coming to the white. I'm on the back straightaway. He's coming around coming to the white. And I'm like, something is fucked up. Like, this is bad. And I didn't know what it was. And then I'm watching the screen. You know, there you can watch the screen. Yeah, it's uh, it was it was really, really tough. Honestly, I couldn't believe it. I didn't cry. I usually I'm a uh, usually I'm a mess, you know, but um it was, it was tough, but it, it's part of it. Um, you know, the very first person to me was standing right next to me was, uh, was Jonathan's crew chief, uh, Jason Durham. And he just hugged me. I mean, he felt so bad and I could feel the emotion from him. You know, um, Jonathan come right up to me immediately. And Kyle, as soon as he got done with his interview, he came straight to us. I mean, everybody come up to us. So, yeah, we didn't get the money. We didn't get the win. I mean, that's all there is to it. It, it, it doesn't matter. You, the results are results. I say that to everybody, and they can tell you that I, I live and die by that. So we didn't win. You know, that's all there is to it. That's what hurts. But, man, you, we did. Everybody come up to me and called, and, and Kyle, too, came up to us and really showed their support and, and how proud they were, how well, you know, how fast we were. So, I'd be, I, it stinks. There's, it's, there's nights where you lay there and think, holy shit, we could have won a 50,000 to win. I mean, and, and it's, yeah, it's a little time removed, but you know, it's just one of those things. So you try not to let it creep back in. You try to take the positives out of it. I, I do, I do really in our hearts, we feel like there is positives that have come from it. You know, we got, we got a lot of good support from guys. Um, Sour Mugs Tavern come on board. Andy's towing um, product people. 
you know, Hypercoil, uh, course, Bill Stein, uh, Clements, Glenn Clements. Um, I mean, I could go on and on with the guys, you know, that have, that have stepped up to help us get to where, where we needed to be. Um, and, and, and maybe in a way, uh, you know, the guys at PCC saw that and said, man, you know, these guys are doing a lot with a little, and, um, you know, so you never know. Everything happens for a reason, but damn, it hurt. <laughs> it still does. Is there like an official diagnosis of, of the tire? Did you, you know, did you run something over? Was it body work that cut it down? Like, do you have any idea at this point? So there, there's no real indication that it was body work. Uh, it's kind of tough because he hit the wall after it was flat. So the, in that picture that everybody sees on dirt on dirt, you know, it looks bad because the body's knocked off of it, but he had never touched the wall the whole damn race. And we had preached to him, preached to him, you know, uh, a lot of people Rumley and, and uh, even a couple of our driver buddies told him like, you've got the car to beat, you know, be smart. And he drove a perfect race. I think that's what hurts the most is that he drove a perfect race. We didn't mess it up. Will you ever know a hundred percent for sure? No. But uh, Ricky Weiss blew a motor, and uh, Kent Robinson blew a motor. And it was actually Ricky Weiss's crew guy, Sean, that was walking around and found a rod out of the bottom of a motor laying on the back straightaway up against the wall. So uh, there's definitely was some debris out of motors there. So, you know, I, that's, what I think has ha- that's what I think happened. You know, of course, I've played it over my head a thousand times, but – our tire wear the night before was really, really good, and the track was way slower on Saturday, and our car was so good that he was not wheel spinning. So I know it wasn't wear-related. It was running over something. Doesn't make it any easier, <laughs> for sure. You know, how you can go 98 laps. I said this in my interview right after. How you can go 98 laps and or 65 laps and not run over something and then do is hard to fathom. But I really, truly feel that is what happened. I mean, I, I, don't, I can't come up with any other explanation. I mean, I, he was so easy on stuff. And, of course, it could have, would have, should have. But, um, you know, results are results. But, yeah, I, I mean, I, in my heart, feel that's what happened. Sean found that piece up there. Um, those two guys. I think it could have been out of Kent Robinson's motor, honestly, because he broke with eight to go. And we had a flat with two to go. So, but that's, uh, you know, part of it. So, but so you go from kind of the lowest of lows to then not too many days later, you, we, you get that Lucas win. Is it like, you know, invigorating? Is it like, you know, validating? Like, what is that feeling of, of then going and getting that first Lucas win? Yeah. And actually three days later, we set a new track record at Fairbury. Oh yeah, that's and true. Then, yeah. Uh, and so that was okay. We're back, you know, one or heat was battling for the lead and it was so rough that he got in there and, and bounced and, and got into the wall. But so then I'm like, what the hell, you know, this is the worst week I could ever imagine. But we picked ourselves up and went to I-80. We weren't even sure we were going to go at that point. You know, that's another eight hours out further, you know, but I love that place. I grew up in Omaha, Nebraska. So I, I've got, you know, it's got a special, I actually drove, I actually raced there. <laughs> it's one of two tracks that I raced on when I was, you know, a lot younger. So, um, which I was terrible at, by the way. Um, but <laughs> a lot better at working on them than I am driving them. But yeah, to answer your question about I-80, yeah. And then that night, which I don't know how many people, uh, they forget, you know, we set quick time on our first lap by like three tenths. And then he stuffed it in the wall on the second lap. And I was so damn mad. And, and we yelled at each other and like brothers do. And I fixed it and we, we fixed it as a team and, and went back out and, and sat on the pole and won the race, you know? So I, I, me and, and Rigsby and, and Kovac and those guys, 
you know, I, I really respect them and they're getting to be, you know, like yourself, really good journalists. And I, I'm a sports junkie, so I can appreciate all these little journalism things. And I think their uh, headline was demons exercised with a picture of me and him hugging right on the front straightaway. So that's honestly what it felt like. I mean, that was, I thought, I thought they put that perfectly. You know, that was really cool. The picture was cool. And it was, it was a release of emotion. Like, holy shit. Like, yeah, it felt it felt good. It, it definitely did. Of course, seven is nowhere near fifty on no. the, the the money scale, <laughs> and we could have really have used it at that time. Trust me. But yeah, I, we've been really proud to run as good as we have. That was a really good stretch there where we were really really good. Um, we've been really good the second half of the year. I you know I was actually we were discussing. You know, if you looked up the average finish, and I don't know what the numbers are on it, I didn't go through. But you know, we ran pretty much the whole Lucas Tour the second half of the year. Um, even with what we had and, and I would like to think we were at least in the top, you know, six or so of points getters for that period, you know, is kind of how we're looking at it. Might've been better, might've been worse, but, um, that gives us a lot of confidence going into this year with enough equipment to compete and, and knowing, you know, that we have, we have the ability if we can harness it and put it in the right places. So it's exciting. Yeah, actually, I have your uh, your. You guys competed in twenty three Lucas races this year. Four top fives, ten top tens. Your average feature finish for the whole year was eleven point five. That your best stretch there was definitely from Port Royal to I eighty second, eighth, eighth, first, eighth, fifth. So, there you go. So I, you gotta you gotta keep that up for a full year, which is really tough to do. But <laughs> I guess I was focusing more on that stretch. <laughs> but um, yeah, I mean. Uh, the problem, the reason though, the 11 is the average finish is those DNFs that, you know, and, and honestly, when you're not running the tour, you don't go back out if something happens or whatever. But, um, but yeah, you got to pick that up. You got to be consistent. You can't fall out of races. He's coming, a, he's come a long ways in just this eight months of learning to manage the race better. And uh, yeah, we've had a lot of good conversations about that. He just wants to win. You know, I'd want somebody that's going to be aggressive and go out there and be aggressive. And that comes with tearing shit up. So that's part of it. But now that we're running for points, you know, that, that, that adds another element to it. And, um, you know, we've already discussed that a little bit. I'm sure we will some more. Um, but yeah, we were, if we could keep up for that stretch, you know, or, or stay close to that, you know, I mean, obviously that's the goal, you know, you, you gotta be up there. Um, I mean, we, we expect to go out there and compete for the championship. We really, really do. I mean, um, it's going to be tough. I mean, those guys are really good. Trust me. I've got my butt whooped by them for 15 years, but it's makes it even more satisfying when you can be competitive with them. So that's what we're going to try to do. With the Lucas season over now, do you guys have plans to run more races? Are you going to run world final? Well, I guess what is replacing world finals? Yeah, are are yeah. you going to run some of that other stuff? We're, we're trying. So we've still only have the one car, of course, then we've got the two motors. Well, they're both at Glenn's right now. Um, I would love to get one of them back to put in our car to go to Charlotte. I, I, I don't think it's fair to Mr. Sims and the PCC guys to rush it to try to run their car at Charlotte. I don't think it's a good idea. So we discussed that today. Um, we're going to try to make it happen to run our Longhorn there. And then I think there's uh, Lancaster or Lancaster. Lancaster, they call it. Yeah, and, down uh, here. Gaffney. Yeah, down here. Down here. Lancaster and, and Gaffney, I think, is a 10 and a 15 maybe. I'd like to run those, and then that would be it. We might go to the dome to, to run somebody's modified or something, but um, yeah, we'd like to run those four more in our car and we're still going to have our car. Like, like we said earlier, ready to go for non Lucas races. Um, 
that, that, you know, Mr. Sims doesn't want to run. Um, so, um, if, if there are any that he doesn't want to run, you know, if, if we're running good and you've got enough equipment, I'm sure he's ready to roll, but man, that's a lot, you know, you got to focus on those 62 Lucas races laps on your motor, stuff like that. I think that's the best policy in my opinion is to commit to those 62 with that, with that equipment, you know what I mean? And then, and then if you want to do some other stuff here and there, um, so yeah, that's the plan. I don't, we don't even have an engine to put in right now. So I, I can't guarantee we're going to be even be at Charlotte. Um, so anybody that wants to rent us a motor, you know, hit us up. <laughs> I'll let you go uh, here pretty quick, but I, I, I want to kind of get an idea of what the next couple of months looks like for you guys as you transition into a new team, mm-hmm. and getting all mm-hmm. the equipment in house and getting ready. What is that process going to look like? Well, luckily we spent a lot of time organizing our shop and I wish I had a before and after shot because you'd have, you would be blown away for what we did. We took the time and the effort and a lot of help from a lot of man hours to get it to the point where we're at now. Um, that is huge to me. I'm an organization guy. I mean, I'm all about it. I mean, I'm even, I'm OCD really. I mean, I gotta have things organized to be competitive and succeed. So that at least that groundwork is laid and thankfully uh, Craig, you know, uh, Craig Sims is allowing us to bring the stuff to our shop so we can be with our families, um, and, and not have to uproot our entire lives to go do this. You see what I'm saying? Like that, that makes a big difference. So that part of it is, is the groundwork is late. So I'm going to, when we do get the equipment, um, you know, we're going to inventory everything. So we know what he has, know what we're bringing to the table, you know, springs and stuff like that. Uh, whatever gears, you know, whatever you need. I mean, it's a team effort at this point. So, um, but yeah, go over the cars. I mean, luckily I'm very familiar with the rockets. So, um, you know, that, that shouldn't be too, too hard. Um, you know, like to go test a little bit, um, you know, Thanksgiving and Christmas is in there and then boom, you're off and running. So let's say we get up the equipment, you know, next week or the week after you're, you're trying to make sure you get Charlotte and Lancaster and Gaffney stuck in there. And then you're going over the, the truck and the trailer, getting it organized to run a tour. I mean, I've done that, you know, multiple times. So I kind of know a little bit what it takes. Kyle's run a ton of races through his career. He knows what it takes. So we'll be spending a lot of time on that for preparation, spare panels, spare parts, inventory, being prepared. Cause that's what Mark is so good at is his team is uber, uber prepared. And if you're going to run for a championship and same with Jimmy Owens and same with Davenport and Timmy and, all those guys. I mean, they've been doing it at that level. They know it takes a lot of equipment to do it. Um, and so that's what we're going to try to be as prepared as humanly possible. And, um, you know, go test some, uh, cause I think that's extremely important. And, uh, you know, so it, it, it goes by way faster than you think. Trust me. Oh yeah. Uh, no, there, the, there is the off no season is a complete misnomer. Like that's, yeah. it's definitely not the off season. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That's right. Yep. Well, Vinny, I certainly appreciate you taking some time uh, to talk to me today and uh, good luck the rest of the way uh, this this year and, and then getting prepared for next year. And uh, it's been great to have you on the show. Hey, thank you so much. I appreciate you uh, letting me come on and uh, really looking forward to all the good work that you're doing. Appreciate it. really fun to go into the weeds with Vinny and learn about his relationship with Kyle, talk plenty of late model tech, and hear about their preparations for next season. As someone who didn't grow up on dirt late models, conversations with these late model guys are always endlessly fascinating to me. Thanks again to Vinny for the time. You can find the Dirt Tracker podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or where you get podcasts. You can also watch the shows on YouTube. For more cool dirt racing stuff, visit dirttracker.com and follow Dirt Tracker on Twitter, Facebook, and TikTok.